0: Welcome to episode 33 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Hay.
1: I am your co-host,
2: Sarah Lucas. And I'm your co-host, Mandy Conan.
0: So today's topic is primarily around the one-penis policy and why it's so common, what the mental states that you have to be in for that to make sense. But before we do that, I just want to do a quick signal boost for the Polyamory's Me Too Survivor pod. They have released their newest update and three new Survivor stories.
2: Wow. they nice.
0: their various sites, and I will have those links in the description, and I'll actually be releasing them, honestly, individually before you even hear this episode, as I'm trying to use the Facebook page to get information up more consistently. At some point, I would like to do that with the web page, but right now we are not there.
2: Would it be fair to summarize? I hate doing that, because I feel like it minimizes their statements, but, you know, in the effort of saving some time since you're going to post the links anyway.
0: I haven't actually had the chance to read all of them. I read the update announcement. I've only read one and a half of the three stories. Okay. And... I don't think that there's anything so far new and relevant to the point of summary in the new stories. I think you should read the new stories because they go to pattern, they go to reason.
2: Reiterating what's been said already?
0: Well, not just that, but anytime you're trying to understand why something is working the way that it is, the more data points mm-hmm. you have, the easier it is to see that come out. So they're they're all different. They're all completely unique experiences that are relevant and important. Absolutely. And of course, these people deserve... to be listened to as much as the first group that was recorded as well and a lot of what this sharing is about is about validating their experience so going well it's the second set don't bother reading them like no like go right read them. no
2: yeah no that's not <laughs> at all what i'm trying to do i just wanted to know if there was any
0: i didn't mean to say you were trying to do that but i was trying to respond to the so it's more of the same it's not more of the same it is different but
2: but it does reiterate the pattern that we've seen so far
0: right and a new context and maybe expands on because each of the stories by their very limitations don't hit everything that's in the acute accusation list uh-huh. so some of these hit new some of the things that are on the accusation 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 list but an actual story for those accusations some of them are just confirmations like another person confirming from their perspective something that was said in one of the earlier stories that it wasn't clear if the person was right about like when someone would say oh i think this person was doing this for this reason and then now we have that person telling their story the medium update is actually kind of interesting it has some things that we talked about it obviously mentions the accusations around the financial ties and has some good points that we didn't mention like this kind of work should be done by people at a professional level and who are paid for their work Mm. so saying like people paid to do this work shouldn't participate just means you're not going to have actual experts participating in helping people who've undergone trauma
2: why would we need experts in that <laughs> yeah,
0: that's that's a ridiculous yeah. position. So I agree with that claim. They also did something that I thought was really fascinating in the sense that we made an episode that we didn't end up airing that we're gonna make again, and we have often said the same concept, which is we don't like moralized language. Good, bad aren't interesting to us. Because when you start calling people good or bad, you end up spending a hundred hours debating what counts as good, what counts as bad, and getting that discussion, and it's really not productive and it doesn't get to the point, which is is the behavior harmful? Right. And the only thing I really care about is if people are being harmed or helped. Is the behavior healthy or unhealthy? Is it harmful or beneficial? That's the only thing that matters. It doesn't necessarily matter that the person who's doing it isn't doing it intentionally or badly. If the person they're doing it to is being consistently harmed, that dynamic's got to go. They got to separate. It has to be changed. Something has to change. It's not a blame game. It's just just this cannot continue. And they they wrote a section about the same thing where they were using the line harm versus abuse. And this is one I hadn't really thought about because a lot of times I'll say this when I'm talking to people. I'll say something like this sort of behavior is abusive. They'll freak out and be like, "Well, I don't think this person's really abusive." And I'm like, "I'm not saying the person is. I'm saying the behavior is." Mm-hmm. But I think what they're saying is that the term "abuse" has the same kind of moral valence as bad and good, where it's a moralizing term
2: hmm. in our okay. cultural group. Yeah.
0: So even though abuse is meant to describe patterns of behavior that cause harm to someone, when you say abuse, people hear bad
2: person
0: intentional yeah. abuser, bad person. I would agree
1: with that. Yeah, i say so too. I
0: hadn't thought about that because I do tend to be a a little bit dry and academic. But I agree that that's a good point And that just focusing on saying these harms happened might help as well. Well, you can call it whatever you want. There's this pattern of harmful behaviors. And this pattern of harmful behaviors is a problem that has to be addressed. And that's what this transformative justice is about is causing less harms and making a safer environment for everybody. So
2: when do we go from one word to the other? When is it okay to say abuse then?
0: I guess the question is, what are you trying to accomplish when you say that? So I would say for sure people are going to be using that language, I hope, with their own counselors, for instance. So when you're talking to your therapist, and they say, well, that sounds like you were abused. That can be helpful to some people. And somewhere someone in one of the quotes said that it hurt them to use the word abuse in their own therapy work because they felt like that person wasn't an abuser and the, like they had internalized the same construct. So it really depends on who you're talking to and how they're right. using it. Right,
2: but so do you think that if you were... Or the victim of harmful acts or abuse? Do you think that if you go to a counselor and you use the word harmful acts or harmful behavior Mm -hmm. or consistent harmful behavior, in your opinion, do you think that that's downplaying abuse? I'm trying to find, because this has been something relatively new in my life, I'm trying to Mm -hmm. find the line of where that becomes the other word because I do see when you use the word abuse all of a sudden it's dark and veiled and dun 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 so I'm afraid that saying harmful behavior is maybe downplaying a little bit you you see do you see where I'm trying to go with this
0: so this is something we've also talked about a ton but whenever we say this might just be we also want to say but check to see if you're using this to let yourself be harmed in some way I don't, I don't know. This one is difficult for me because in all of my experience... Personally, around moralizing words, the non-valenced words that just describe the outcome have always made it easier for me to do what needs to be done. So if you can say, like, this person was behaving harmfully, and they're hurting you, and you have to get away from harm the same way you would pick your hand out of a fire, for me, that has all of the same relevant power as saying that you're being abused. It removes the question of intent. Intent isn't relevant to whether you should avoid harm. It seems like the idea of the intent is would be relevant because you would think that if there's an option for intent, you'd run faster if there is intent. But what actually happens is you spend a lot of time not being sure if intent exists and not feeling like you're allowed to act until you know intent exists.
1: Interesting. I never thought of it that way. So
0: if you're given permission to just say, if it's harm, I gotta go. If it's harmful, I've got to go. Then I don't know why it matters if the person did it on purpose or not.
2: Right. Interesting. What I'm hearing is the difference between manslaughter and murder.
0: Well, if this was a court of law... And I know, and I know it's not. And if these things had specific legal definitions... Right. Then that would be a relevant point. Okay. But part of the problem is that these things don't have specific definitions to begin with. Right. That the definition of abuse is consistent harm over time, and it's become a moralized term that is intentional... Intentional, controlling behavior over time means that the word... So do you
2: think if it's not intentional, we call it harmful behavior?
0: No, no, but this is my point. My point is that people aren't using the word abuse the way that the word is written.
2: Or it's come to mean something different.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. And that harmful is a more accurate representation of what the word abuse was coined for than abuse is current use comes out as.
2: I gotta marinate on that.
0: So if your concern is that the language change is minimizing what's happening, yes. ask yourself the question, if someone said, my partner is engaged in consistently harmful behavior against me, would you not think the thought, that's abuse? Yeah, I would. Is there any consistent harmful behavior that you wouldn't classify as abuse?
2: Does the intent have to be there?
0: Well, that's a question for you. My question for you is, if someone says, my partner is consistently engaging in harmful behaviors against me, even if they said it was unintentional or they think it's unintentional, would you think that that's not abuse?
1: I think, if I might, um, that the only way I would not classify it as abuse is if they were it was consensual, if it was like a BDSM thing. Everything else I would say that is abuse, whether or not it's intentional.
0: I have never heard a person in a BDSM relationship codify sentence like harmful yeah. behavior against me yeah, yeah no they would not say that they would say you know there's pain or masochism involved and i enjoy it
1: oh, they wouldn't okay. say
0: harmful right cuz harm is different than pain
1: That's
0: a good qualifier there. So I guess my point is, if any of my friends ever came to me and said, I am experiencing consistent harmful behavior from my partner, intentional or unintentional, I would say that's abuse. You need to get out. Yeah. If I thought that saying that's abuse would help them, but I would quantify it as abuse if someone asked. If someone said, is that abuse? I would say that's basically the definition of abuse.
2: Intentional or not.
0: Right. Intentional or not. So
2: there's no difference between the words, except for the veil of morality.
0: If you have an intractable harmful behavior and your partner that no amount of your engagement has been able to reduce it's just as bad regardless of if it's because they can't figure out that it's happening or because it's intentional i mean you have to get out of there just as badly right right i mean what's the what's the distinction there right if you somehow cannot communicate that to your partner you know and maybe you have trouble communicating it but presumably you'll never be able to know in real life whether or not it was communicated well or or not. Communicated successfully or not. Right. Right. You'll never be able to know if your partner thinks that you told them that. So you you can say, I think it's intentional and they can deny it, and then how would you ever know? Right. But you still need to get out. Right. For me, when you include intent into abuse, it downplays all of the other harms that aren't intended, as if they're not equally important. Like, I'm much more concerned about that opposite one, since the vast majority of harms appear to be at some level not understood by the abuser. So the person engaging in the abuse or the harmful behaviors doesn't recognize the behaviors as harmful for many possible reasons. Oh, well this is how things are supposed to be is a common one, right? Like society's taught me that this is how things are supposed to be so I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. You're the wrong one. Or, you know, not being able to hear it. Or you react so negatively when criticized flying into a rage that the person just stops criticizing you and so you never even hear the feedback and so I never knew that they were mad about this and the person says well in the first year of our dating when i told you i didn't like your haircut today you screamed at me for 25 minutes and punched three holes in our wall so i wasn't about to tell you i felt abused later right it doesn't matter if the person knew as far as how serious the harm is
1: so i guess the, the true judge of intent then would be the way that the person causing harm reacts on the back end because I would imagine if somebody was unintending to abuse someone and it was like, hey, you've been abusing this person or hey, you've been abusing me, the first thing they think would probably be, no, I haven't, but... If they really didn't mean to cause harm and they're in a position where they want to check themselves and do really good things, then they'd be like, okay, well, how can I improve myself?
0: That's all very cultural, though. There are people that I know that literally think everything in the world is some sort of bizarre conspiracy against them. Interesting. I know somebody who is in charge of other people who thinks that anytime anyone doesn't do things exactly the way they wish that that person had done them, that they are intentionally not doing things that way to skirt their duties. They're trying to pull one over on them. Like, no human being has ever forgot things or just disagreed with what made the most sense or tried to do their best and you never even talked about how to do this particular thing.
1: Don't you think that might be more like clinical paranoia, though?
0: I know enough people that have that belief about how other people operate that I don't want to make a judgment about that large of a swath of the population as someone who is not a clinical therapist. Okay. (laughs) Because that's not my job. Maybe that is, but I mean... Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't... I don't know how paranoid someone has to be to count, but... Yeah. But, you know, it's, I mean, it's a perspective that has to be fairly common if you think about the idea, like, when we talk about things like, people support the prison system because if you did something wrong, you deserve to suffer, right? So that assumes that every single person who's in the prison system intentionally did the thing wrong that they did wrong. Right. Because the level of suffering that they engage in is only justifiable under an assumption of intent. Right. But also through this entire process where we've been talking about, we want this transformative justice, and We want people to feel comfortable telling their stories and feel comfortable learning from their mistakes, the level of anti-moralization against people that have these sorts of patterns of behavior also has to be lower, right? Because the valencing around words like abuse or bad or evil in our culture is designed to make something irredeemable. And if you're really serious about saying we think that we could teach this person not to hurt other people in the future, what's the point of creating a social pariah first? It, it creates no incentive at all for them to engage in the process it creates every incentive imaginable for them to pretend that's not what's happening we talked about the studies in polyamory specifically that show that people in poly who are accused of being jealous are actually not as able to discuss it a lot of times because it conflicts with the way they view themselves i'm not a jealous person i've got poly down mm-hmm. so if you tell them you're being jealous a lot of times they can't even have that conversation and it gives them incredibly large amounts of unhappiness and they don't believe you whereas if you said something like when i go out with someone else i feel feel like it's making you unhappy, and I'm not sure why, that conversation is much easier to have. Or if you don't have someone whose entire sense of self is based on the idea that they're a not-jealous poly person, it's an easier conversation to have. So creating the societal assumption that we need these extreme layers of language, which are reserved for the worst of the worst, does not facilitate change. It facilitates stagnation. It facilitates people digging their heels in and going, I didn't do that. Whatever you're saying, like I am not an abuser.
2: Mm-hmm, right.
0: I know me, and I'm not an abuser abuser and people going I know this person and they're not an abuser and people saying this person is the sweetest person I know they would never do that on purpose so they're not an abuser but none of that matters in the face of testimony of actual harms experienced what matters is lowering those harms and figuring out why those harms were not able to be legible earlier and I think part of it is the language barrier that when people have reported these behaviors people have just said well that can't be right that person isn't you know abusive but it's possible that it would have been picked up faster or in some other way if we didn't and I I don't, think it, I don't think it would have mattered if the people who experienced this particular thing had used different language, but if our entire culture makes a linguistic shift. Right. And again, a perception of justice shift. Because one of the things I've been talking to with at least one of the listeners I was talking to about this is that when they first started listening into the coverage, whenever they heard the word justice, no matter how many times we say, we do not mean American criminal justice.
2: That's just what you hear, yeah.
0: We are trying to take back the idea of justice. So justice means right action by society. So when we talk about transformative justice, we're talking about trying to move into a society that actually makes itself better in responses to problems, is reactionary in response to problems. It sees people being harmed, and it makes changes that make that less harmful. And in this case, it's doing it outside of a governmental system, because the governmental system that we have is punitive and broken and damaging. So part of that is leaving behind this rigorous assumption about what language has to look like and looking at what language gets the job done that you need done. And if the job that you need done is, people need to be able and willing to accept that they are harmful. People need to be able and willing to learn how to not be harmful in the same way going forward. And communities need to be able and willing to accept that someone was harmful without completely rejecting them or destroying them. And while integrating suggestions into the community writ large so that everyone can be less harmful going forward, you need language that doesn't alienate every single person you levy it against. Okay. So then, Sarah, you brought up this question of if they were co-opting the Me Too movement, which they actually address in this response. I don't know if it's because of us specifically, but they say that they've had these criticisms from multiple places.
1: That's interesting.
0: Both allies and others. (laughs) And they said basically what I said when we discussed this, which was we're talking about a person in power. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a sub-community that often thinks of itself as being less prone to these sorts of things because of the ethical Mm -hmm. uh, aspirations to ethicality. And that they are aligning themselves with the Me Too movement, not attempting to co opt And they didn't say this, but they also and I said this before, and I'll say it again, I think it is also relevant that it gives this a name that isn't the accused abuser's name. Yeah. Because I think that's fair. If I wanted to be part of a movement and I felt abused by somebody mm-hmm. or harmed by somebody, I wouldn't want the movement yeah. that I started to be named for them.
2: Oh, yeah. I do like that we've gotten away from using the name, too. Because when we first started giving this airtime and we first started discussing this, it was vo this, vo that. You know, it was very name heavy and now it's it's more about the movement and less about him specifically so i think that's great
0: yeah they do their own transparency work which i love they as they said before one of their members peppermint has announced their own accountability process and they have an article to it so you can read about what's going on there oh cool people who join people who've left people who are doing work where they're doing the work and then finally, they also wanted to point out that there are apparently troll accounts that have been created um, that are co-opting Franklin's name and pretending to be him and doing bad things. Interesting. Pretend name.
2: People just have too much time on their hands.
0: <laughs> they know that this is not what they want and that they condemn this behavior and they don't believe the people doing it are doing it for the sake of this survivor group or the survivor pod. But if they are, just stop. So if you're listening and that's why you're doing it, please stop. Yes.
2: It's not helping us
0: not helpful to this process and they also note that whenever they post screen captures or recaps of articles they always verify that it's coming from franklin's authentic account first and will continue to do so i should also note that we do our best to do that as well as soon as i found out about this rumor of puppet accounts i did go back and check all the things that we have posted and so far they all remain verified and consistent however obviously if anything we do post appears to not be that and you have reason to believe it's a fake post please let me know you the listeners (laughs) at Home, yes, and I will uh, take it down and adjust accordingly as fast as I can. So again, please read their stories they're just so helpful for understanding the kind of behaviors that people that don't think they're doing something wrong, who aren't even aware that they're doing something wrong, and a lot of the behaviors that they discuss are behaviors that really do seem like responses to trauma, you know, on the part of the person engaging in them, which makes sense. And therefore they're really easy to sort of pass, you know, because you think, well, I feel bad, or I understand where that's coming from, but the behavior is harmful in the end, and if it harms you, you need to get away from it. So if you are in a relationship where you're experiencing consistent and intractable harms, please. We've talked about this before. Seek counseling on your own. Mm -hmm. Get away from the relationship if you can. Don't continue to engage in a context that causes you harm. All right. So that is in no way connected to our listener question, but is topical.
2: Thank you for the update Michael. Mm, Yes.
0: Welcome and I'll I'll read those all by next time and if there's something that I specifically want to call out from the articles I will but I, I always get the sense that sometimes if I summarize there's some chance that the summary will mean people just don't even go read them. Yeah. Yeah. So in the last episode I struggled with and I have consistently struggled with I said it before but I really just sort of put my emotional note out there last time about how much I dislike asking for support for the podcast and I got a note back from one of our listeners basically saying that we shouldn't feel guilty about that they appreciate the reminders that not everyone listens to every episode so the yep. assumption that everyone's heard all 33 episodes and therefore heard us ask three times is inaccurate yeah, and we're so full you. of
2: it <laughs> we just assume everybody listens to all of them
0: (laughs) you think you're going to donate and then you forget so we're just going to keep doing it quickly we're going to try and talk about what it does and just you know be very generous which is so again on our website probably poly.com you can donate and literally everything helps And we talked in the original episode about the we mentioned it the like the ways that create the most financial conversion which is the more you donate it once the more percentage of it we get but really we're not getting enough donations at that for it to be helpful if that makes sense so if you can only donate it Dollar, we're still going to get a significant percentage of that, like 70% of that or something. So, you know, whatever you can donate, whenever you can donate. If you can donate in a chunk, that's great. If you can donate piece by piece, that's great.
2: And if you can't donate, please share us. Yeah. So other people can
0: share, like, subscribe, Mm -hmm. all of those things, boost our numbers. Comment. Oh my God. On either Facebook or SoundCloud, if you rate and comment us, that's a huge deal. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes.
0: And I know that you might not be able to because your account would be public, but, you know, if you even have an account that doesn't have your name attached to it that you can rate or comment on, we only have have like 3 comments and 4 ratings on iTunes <laughs> or something like that even though we have a lot of listeners through iTunes.
2: What do the comments and the ratings do for us? I mean directly with the account do they do something? Do they bo- boost us in some way?
0: Yeah, so when you're searching, the algorithm does try to like you can search by ratings for instance. Oh. So you can search like polyamory podcast by ratings and so our percentage rating can come up. Most sites, I don't know how Apple does it exactly, but most sites do check for the number of ratings and most people also see the number of ratings and take it more seriously. So. If If you're scrolling through polyamory podcasts and you see one that has like 500 reviews and one that has three, you just think that's not one that has any traction. That one doesn't have any legitimacy. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to try something else first. So you have to end up over here. But, you know, one of the ways to drive traffic is that. And then... I think most people know this, but link, if you have control of any kind of web page or if you post things, share our links or post our links, Google aggregates its searches based on how often a link is posted. Interesting. That's the entire algorithm that Google uses. Yeah. It just sees how many times other people link to your material. Because the assumption is that if people are linking to it, they really like it. So actually copying and pasting the link into you know a Facebook post or into a link list of resources if you have polyamorous resources onto your blog, whatever, all of those things increase the visibility that we have on the internet and our presence and the way people find and see us
2: so what is our listener question today michael they wrote and they is anonymous correct
0: they is anonymous yeah I would be so grateful if you did an episode about the one penis policy. Why exactly is it an ethically flawed rule and why is it so ubiquitous? Any advice for men who just can't seem to shake feeling threatened by other men? And a deeper look into feminism, egalitarianism, and other gendered double standards and non monogamous relationships as well. And then for additional context. I am very feminist, bisexual woman in a monogamish relationship with a very feminist, heterosexual man, and we're working on opening up our relationship. They, of course, want to have sex with men and women, and he is into the idea of him having sex with other women, but is still working through the typical jealousy, insecurity about opening up, and especially hesitant about her being with other men. He's so open-minded, progressive, and egalitarian in every other area of his life, which is why I'm so baffled by this. Why do so many men apparently struggle with this?
2: Hmm. so when i first went hey like this is a thing and this we could do this and this is amazing we didn't know the p word yet Mm -hmm. you know we just did what felt right and we didn't have a one penis policy because i definitely Mm -hmm. dated a penis (laughs) after my relationship with the female ended we always looked at it from a goose and gander perspective. Mm -hmm. That's just kind of always helped me too when I did get into relationships later on where there were twinges of jealousy and I felt like maybe I wasn't okay with something that was going on. I always kind of turned it around and went, okay, let me put the other shoes on and would I appreciate this? Would I want to be able to do this? Would... I would I see someone else having a problem with this that all stemmed from that original relationship that original marriage because we did we just kind of went I wouldn't want to be stifled in this area and so i don't want to stifle you in that area i mean we did we kind of had whatever rules applied to one applied to the other Mm -hmm. we never really faced a one penis policy
0: although i actually have heard people proponents of the one penis policy making that same claim in reverse right so the rules are the same for everybody everyone can date a woman yeah that's the same rule for everybody Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, I'm not saying that that's a good claim. I'm just saying that the language of good for the goose and good for the gander doesn't necessarily translate because they'll say, like, we both have the option to do the same thing.
2: Well, yeah. We just always used other genitalia, I guess. Like, all vaginas are okay, but penises are not. So my opinion on that is fuck a bunch of that. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I I'm with you there. But that's I'm a, I'm of sure. the all penis policy. Yes. Oh god, as yes. As well mm. as the all vagina policy. Mm. And the all in between policies. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think the we should go to the original part of the question about why is it so ubiquitous? And what is it? Yeah, let's start with, just start with that. Why is it so ubiquitous? Why is it so common? I mean, because it is super common. And there are people who defend mm-hmm. this mattresses. On, like, you'll be on a forum and you'll see someone up there talking about how great it is being the woman in a household that is a one penis policy household.
1: Yeah, it baffles my mind too. Like, doesn't, I like penises. I want more than one.
0: I think one of the short answers to that is that we do have a culture whose narratives around masculinity say that it's less masculine to share female partners that it is less masculine to be with other men
2: like it makes them look weak
0: i i mean i guess weakness is part of it because i think in our culture weakness and masculinity are almost synonymous in structure mm-hmm. to say that's non-masculine or emasculating is to say showing your weakness or to yeah. be weak like i don't think there's a difference mm-hmm. like because, for the same reason that masculinity is seen as being super strong.
2: Mm-hmm. And femininity is the opposite. Yeah.
0: So everybody from the time that they're born in America, it's getting better now. But, you know, the people that are around right now has been told, you know, you're not a real man <laughs> if you let other men sleep with your women.
2: So that's the problem. Right there is the, the language that was just used. If you let sure. other right. men sure. sleep sure. with your woman.
0: To talk about language. Yeah. There's a word specifically for a man letting another man sleep with his partner, but not the other way around. So a cuckold is a male who has cheated on or or not even cheated on.
2: Because cuckolding is a, I don't think it's cheating.
0: Well, it can be. Because if you originally look at the the usage of the wording historically, they will call people who are cheated on a cuckold as an insult. Uh,
2: But I don't, I mean, that's not what is how it's used now.
0: It is how it's used in a lot of communities. It's not how it's used in our community. In our community and the fetish community. (laughs) It's a specific fetish about getting excited that...
2: I never heard that word until I was part of the king community.
0: Yeah, it's kind of old-fashioned. It's like a word you'll read in manuscripts from the 50s when someone's (laughs) making fun of somebody. (laughs) I'm not like it's the not the kind of word uses. that people would <laughs> Yeah, it's right. No, no, for sure. I think it actually was used yeah. in some Shakespearean English. Like it's not Yeah,
2: I, I didn't I had no idea what the word meant until I was part of the Kink community.
0: The entirety of the definition on MiriamWebster.com is a man whose wife is unfaithful. Oh, okay. So by that definition you wouldn't even be able to include most of the kink community because they're faithful to their agreements. Right. They sort of taken the word back and made it into a positive kink because it can be exciting and enjoyable in the right context. But the point is that we you know linguistically there's a word for it one direction and not the other yeah there's not even a a word for a woman whose husband is unfaithful that's specific to that scenario as like an insult against that woman
1: do you think that part of the one penis possible obviously it's cultural but perhaps the reason why it's so deep is it's just been around so long that you know boys will be boys wasn't it the person who was the richest that had the most women in their harem, you know? It almost seems like it's been trained that it's the manly thing to have lots of women, but it's not the manly thing to let your women have other men, right? And that's kind of the same thing that you're saying. It's almost like it's traditional.
2: Well, it's the manly thing to have more women because, you know, we're property. Exactly. The more women you have, the richer you are in whatever instance and women aren't allowed to own property. (laughs) So
1: then, With the listener's question here, being that she and her partner are both so very feminist why it would come up is it just that it is just so ingrained in us as western civilization that even if we don't feel consciously that women are property it's still so ingrained
2: that they have some sort of an objective Mm -hmm. value and that that's really what it is yeah i think it does and it has to do with the hit on their masculinity if they can't keep their woman happy. Right. It just feels like that that answer is
1: almost so plain that I feel like there's something that's missing there, particularly with someone who is feminist and woke in that regard, if I can say it like that.
0: Yeah, I don't think it is plain to say that it is cultural programming at the deepest and most consistent levels. Okay, I think that that's, in a sense, profound to say that it can be so pervasive that you can't even perceive it. Yeah, The most strong taboos are the ones we don't even talk about. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think what's going on is cultural programming.
2: But on many levels, Mm -hmm. for many reasons. Reasons. And
0: many layers of elements, yeah.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: Obviously, there are all sorts of things like. We're also told that women are less valuable the more sex partners that they have. Right.
2: Yes. Yeah, I forgot yes. about that. You've got whore complex, the slut complex. Yeah.
0: And importantly, really importantly, we're told that women don't count. And yes. I mean that across the board mm-hmm. for everything. Yeah. But specifically, women don't count as sex partners for women.
2: Yeah. We're yeah. told that a lot. I didn't think about that dynamic. And that's... Such bullshit. Yes.
0: So a woman's value doesn't go down in these scripts when she's with other women. She is not more dirty or with more people.
2: And of course, it, and it depends on who you ask. If a woman has been with other women or multiple other women, she's almost elevated.
0: That's what I was thinking too. For sure. And a lot of people will say that you're still a virgin until you have PIV set. Right.
2: Until penetrative.
0: Yeah. So the people will say, oh, that person still a virgin. <laughs> So you've got all these layering and layering of scripts, right? So you have a woman being with multiple men lowers her value. You have a man letting another man be with the woman that he's dating lowers his value. So across the board, everything that this person has been told since they were born in every fiber of his being says, Hmm. if you participate in a relationship... So when when I say let here now, I mean basically don't break up with or walk away from a relationship. Because getting, quote, cheated on is one thing. But when I say let, I mean willingly participate mm-hmm. in a relationship where your partner can be with other men, you have no value.
2: Your masculinity has plummeted. Yeah.
0: And so even if this is something that that person doesn't say or even think at a conscious level, that doesn't mean that it's not ingrained in them at a subconscious heuristic level. Right. So when you say, I'd like to be with another man, he just feels terrible and he doesn't have to know why. He just knows that he feels terrible and that that's terrifying and he doesn't want to participate in that.
2: mm mm-hmm. Men don't want to stop and identify what it is that's creating that feeling or admit that they have that feeling even. Right, yeah, people don't.
0: Well, he must be admitting he's having some feeling because he's saying, I don't want you being with other men. That makes me uncomfortable. I don't know.
2: But he's not stopping and going, let's figure out why. Mm -hmm. He just says... I don't know why. Just can't.
0: Right. What you're saying is that most men don't have an investment in dismantling this interior construct because it is uncomfortable. It does nothing of obvious serviceable value for them. And they don't want that to be deconstructed. They're very happy with you only having female partners.
2: Right. I don't want to say most men, but I want to say the men that we are discussing tonight. But I don't think that they want to fix it. I don't think that they want to stop and be introspective and figure out what that deep rooted problem is and fix it because we're back to being weak again. Mm -hmm. It's this vicious fucking hamster wheel that most men won't get off of. Right.
0: I think that's right. And of course, people have to understand, or should understand if you don't understand this, social systems are a form of technology that's subject to evolutionary pressures. Mm -hmm. The social systems that exist today are the ones that are the most intractable, because they out-survived and out-competed every other social system. So not only does this system want men to treat women as a certain form of property, it also has many, many fail-safes designed into the scripts... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that make it so that the men do not feel rewarded at all for challenging them and therefore have no desire to challenge them.
2: Interesting. And not just not rewarded, but penalized.
0: Yeah, absolutely punished. Fascinating. I've mentioned this before, but when I have been in a situation where I have had multiple partners at once and male-identified people who do not understand this situation fully here, they automatically go, Yeah, I'd love to have two girls. And you're like... They date whoever they want that's not me. And then they're like, <laughs> what? what? Do you allow
2: that shit? <laughs> yeah. So. I just. Ah.
0: The thing is you get huge accolades as a guy for being the kind of guy who has multiple poly female partners. Yeah, And then you lose huge social accolades for being the kind of guy whose partners go on to have other male partners. So being a heteronormative person gets a default cultural status. Being a male who has multiple females gets additional cultural status. Mm-hmm. But as soon as that is a actually treating those People as human beings with equal rights who have the option to be with other male partners, your social standing plummets.
1: Yep. God, why is our culture like this? I shouldn't ask why. It's just like it's, it's upsetting that this is what we've been trained to do in yeah. a time that we can't even remember thinking.
0: Sure. I mean, as we've mentioned many times, if you just look at the plot of any movie, any, any rom com, any, any,
1: any, just. <laughs> All. I
0: mm-hmm. think the entire plot, of like 90% of every plot ever, is men competing over a woman's undivided attention. And it has to be undivided Absolutely has to be undivided
2: mm-hmm. And women only having value within a relationship. And what the funny thing is, you say, Michael, that you get that response like, oh, it's awesome. Whereas on the flip side of the coin, if I say, yeah, I have four male partners and a female partner, they're like four men oh yeah i didn't even think about that how do you even like (laughs) yeah i actually have gotten that a couple times too. i'm like a pariah i'm like (laughs) 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 it's just it's like yeah Hmm.
0: all right so i think we got sort of the why it's common i think we can move that into the why is such a policy unethical
2: because goose and gander god damn it (laughs) 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 we're back
1: to geese one way reason to feel it's unethical is because like the sexist gender inequality is something that is unethical and if we're to say that 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 is a large part of the one penis policy then this would be unethical as well
0: right so in this email you say that both of the people in this couple are highly feminine Mm -hmm. feminism is the belief that the genders are completely equal well if you're completely equal then you having sex with other men should be exactly equally allowed or disallowed Mm -hmm. to them having sex with other women. So part of it is that you're not meeting the obligations of your own ethical belief system. So your ethical system says these groups are equal and you're treating them as unequal. When I mentioned people before who are going to the mattresses for one penis policies that are female identified individuals, they tend to also people who are heavy into enjoying the gender construct. Like I like that my man's so sexy he can get a bunch of women and of course no Buddy's going to let their women do that kind of thing. Like, I wouldn't even be interested in him if he did kind of language.
2: How can somebody even call themselves a feminist and adhere to a one penis policy? To me, it's so contradictory that I don't think you get to call yourself a feminist. I agree with that. This listener's partner is not a feminist. If they think that there is a different construct between men and women, I'll say it. Y'all be pissed at Mandy. (laughs) Mandy at... Probably poly.com. Like, (laughs) it just, it is. It's a complete contradiction. And I really think that the partner needs to reassess what it does mean to be a feminist. Because they are not. If this is... If this is what they believe is the right thing to do.
0: Right. So if they believe open relationships, non-monogamy and polyamory are the right way to be. And they believe in feminism, then they cannot believe that you should have a one penis policy.
2: Yeah, I'm going to say yes and challenge me.
0: I agree that that would be true if all of our conscious beliefs were coordinated with are unconscious beliefs okay so obviously what you have going on right now is you have a person that i'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because it's just more useful obviously if this person's just trying to manipulate you into getting a threesome or something then that's no good but let's assume and give that person the benefit of the doubt and say that they don't know why it's so terrifying Mm -hmm.
2: right and that's when you they need to go back and reassess why they call themselves a feminist
0: what i was going to say though is i think a lot of people think think that you shouldn't have to do something that terrifies you.
1: Hey Amen. you're right. A lot of people
2: think that and I don't understand that. Yeah, sorry. For those at home that cannot see my face. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she made very that... startled, confused face. <laughs> that
2: was mind-blown Mandy or right anything. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> really? You don't, th- I mean, a lot of people.
2: No, no, no. I, I, I mean, there are, but I don't like, you. you can't there's no change unless you're uncomfortable. Yeah, like how do you live? That's what I don't like. How do you live your life? Like how do you? There's there's absolutely no change without discomfort. Yeah, your life can't progress.
0: Let let's uh let's back off of the we need and love pain modality for a minute because we, we might lose a lot of people's agreement yeah. on that clause. <laughs> But...
2: Not necessarily pain, but discomfort.
0: When you exist <laughs> in a privileged position, dismantling your privilege... I
2: see where you're going. Is a bitch. Yeah.
0: ...is going to hurt. Mm-hmm. So if this person is a feminist, they understand male privilege.
2: We assume that they do. Yeah, well, I can't assume that.
0: They understand the concept that male privilege exists.
2: <laughs> because mm-hmm. I would also assume that a feminist understands... Well,
0: you... <laughs> I'm trying not to bash the listener's conception of what feminism means. Okay. The listener is the one representing their partner as feminist. Okay. Right. And from their perspective, this person counts as a feminist.
2: Okay. I think that the listener needs to reread the definition of feminism.
0: (laughs) Okay. I think you're just being mean for no reason at this point. (laughs) So. I just. (laughs) it has to be able to be a journey people have to be able to make mistakes and right now this listener's partner is making a lot of mistakes and
2: I get that I do and that's and I I am just being mean about it but that's what I'm trying to say is that these these are mistakes these are for sure mistakes the fix though to me is to go back to that definition
0: we need to provide the listener something useful like the language they can take back to their partner to hook them on that transition Mm -hmm. okay Ideally, your partner would just go and do the research and realize that they're obviously being very misogynistic. The bottom line is, they're treating women like they don't count. In some way or another, mentally, they're treating women like they don't count. Either women don't count as sexual partners, which is why they're not scary, or what women want doesn't count, which is why he doesn't care if you can't have what you want, but he can have what he wants. In some way, he is treating women as if they don't count, and probably in all of the ways. And that's the basic reason that the one penis policy is immoral. Like, the one-shot answer to your question, why is is it immoral? It treats women like they don't count. Yes, mm-hmm. they're objects, and that's what makes a one penis policy. Right.
2: Which and strike this if it's too mean, but is the opposite of fucking feminism.
0: <laughs> right. Which is is in fact the opposite of feminism. I agree. But we did talk about before how my parents' generation of feminism was integral to the actual forward movement of feminism in the next generation, even though they never internalized it. Right. They internalized the logic, but not the actual emotional content. Mm -hmm. And this guy's at that stage. So what you're talking about is somebody who has internalized the logic, but has not yet internalized the emotional content of the claim.
1: Yeah, that's probably the most accurate description of what's happening.
0: And so what I'm trying to say is, if you think that this person person identifies as a feminist, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he at least is capable of using the language that suggests he understands how power dynamics work. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like without even that basic mastery of the language, it would be hard to convince anybody that you're a feminist. So, assuming that that is the case, then the claim that they are making is that power dynamics should be undermined and dismantled. And it is obviously a power dynamic to say in relationships, we should be able to have as many women as we want, but no other men. I'm the only man. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm the only male identifying person. I'm the only penis having individual. And so that is where I would go is I would just say like, are you actually a feminist? Mm-hmm. Do you really believe that everyone is equal and have all the same rights and you have all the same obligations and benefits and duties? Yes. Okay. Do you believe in non-monogamy? Do you believe that people can't be owned by other people? Do you believe that we can love multiple people without undermining our existing relationships with each other and in fact, increasing the value of those relationships and the depth of those relationships you do okay yes all right then there is zero consistent ground for you to remain on that says that you can date people that have opposite genitalia to you and I cannot date people that have opposite genitalia to me
2: well put but it still makes me uncomfortable and I don't want to do it (laughs) yeah yeah
0: so then then you have to ask a couple of important questions do you want to be in a relationship like that
2: I was gonna say my first question is is this worth it <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: For you, for you, is this now worth it? You know, do you want to be in the kind of relationship where you are with someone who absolutely does not think that women and men should be equal and who doesn't feel worse about that than the prospect of going through those negative emotions? Because I'm here to tell you, there are a very slim number of men that for whatever reason never had to go through that in the polyamorous community, but the vast majority of us came in with all of these same incredibly painful scripts. And at some point we made a conscious decision that was to tell our partners, this is gonna hurt like hell. We're gonna work through it. But I'd rather dismantle this in me mm-hmm. than tell you that you are not a person with the same rights and responsibilities and agency that I have.
2: Amen. Say that again for the folks in the back. Michael. <laughs> yeah.
0: I've been there. I'm not gonna say I haven't. Where I was like I don't want to say you can't but I don't know how I would handle being uncomfortable with it.
2: Did you really say that you weren't down for it or did she only show interest in women? Did it ever present to you where she wanted to date a guy and you were like, uncomfortable. Or did she just, she just sought out women. So you never had to deal with it.
0: A little bit of both, I think. So we did talk about it. I like to know what things are happening so I can think about them. Mm -hmm. So I was like, are you interested in dating men right now? And she's like, I'm really not. And I said, okay, well, I want to know if and when you're interested in dating men so that I can process it. Okay. But I realized later that that was a barrier to entry. That that was a way of, in a sense, saying you really can't do this. That if you do this, I'm going to have to go through all this processing and all this pain. I don't feel like it that with me I don't me. feel like it was okay well my point is I felt guilty about it yeah I wanted it to be as fair as possible
2: you wanted to be perfect and be able to do it all all at one time and
0: <laughs> I was never able to say when you date a guy for the first time I won't be shaken you know I've never been able to say that with that partner and I have had partners since then date guys and I've had no problem with it and I have had partners new partners and I haven't had any problem with it
2: it's the same way for me Michael the other way around so I don't know that that has to do with with genitalia, so to speak, because I have certain partners where it doesn't matter how many people they've dated. Every time a new person, I'm a little shaken. Whereas I have sure. partners where I don't even care, like about you know, I don't even, I don't know, I don't need to know a name. They don't even have names usually. <laughs> <laughs> so it's well, no,
0: I'm, I'm admitting to something in a sense worse here, which is that this partner has dated women and it hasn't bothered me. Mm,
2: okay. All right.
0: Now, they've never dated men, so it's a theoretical that it would bother me, but imagining it bothered me.
2: Okay. That's fair, okay. You know,
0: and it's something that I've never ended up having to work through. But what what I realized, and I kept stating it more and more until I reached a level that I felt more or less comfortable with, it was that my internal program biases might create a system that made it so scary for them to date a man that it was a, the equivalent of having a one penis policy, but with some sort of moral get out of jail free card. And I felt guilty about that, if that makes sense. And so I got to the point where I was eventually like, I explicitly routinely from time to time return to this person and say like, if you would like to date Men, you absolutely should. You should never not do that because of me.
2: I love that you said "should" and not "can." Mm-hmm. Just yeah. for the record, I heart you for that. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I just knew you were you were you were saying it. I was like, "Don't say can. Don't say can." Yes.
0: my point is that if you are committed to the feminist ideal even if you are i mean because i am older than a lot of the poly community that i talk to so i'm old enough to have been steeped in excessive masculinity as a child so like there were no gender neutral pronouns until i was like 20 through the entirety of indoctrination in a time frame where any competition to your masculinity was met with fists kind of scenario you know like so i know that i'm buried in that but i am I'm not willing to let my partner be buried in that yeah that's really what you should be looking at with your partner which is say you know you want to help them say i'm willing to work through those emotions with you as you go through them yes
2: that's the difference that's the difference is the willingness to work on them
0: but it might also just be the time it's i mean it's not like the very first time i thought about that i was immediately willing to do that i mean it wasn't no one asked me maybe if i'd been asked i would have said yes but maybe but it was scary it was terrifying it's much less scary now again because i've dated so many people that have had male partners and surprise it hasn't had any problems like
2: (laughs) surprise you're still just as much a man as you were i know
0: (laughs) Yeah, or at least it's no different than dating partners that have female-identified partners or non-binary-identified partners or anything else on the entire wonderful spectrum. So if the person is committed to these ideas and these ideals and these ethics, and they care about you and want you to be treated equally, that should be more important to them than their discomfort. Mm -hmm. And as the privilege-holding person, they were always going to run into their discomfort while headed towards fairness. Because if you're headed towards fairness and I have all the power and you have less power and or moving towards the middle, that's all downhill for me, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we consistently make the claim that in fact, and there's a lot of people that make this claim, and it's a very strong existentialist argument for this, that we are better off when we undermine and remove oppression because when we make objects of others, we also have to make objects of ourselves. And that lack of authenticity and that role-playing and that fakeness are damaging. That's what toxic masculinity is all about. It's the price that men pay for all of the power that they have. But as humans, it's always easier to be scared of what you'll lose than it is to understand what you're going to get like I don't know what egalitarianism is going to bring me exactly I have some ideas it's going to bring the people that I love more freedom and the ability to be themselves it's going to make them presumably more complete partners and more completely who they are which is all great stuff but it also means that I have to give up a bunch of things that I already know that I enjoy like getting to be proud of being macho or (sighs) excuses for bad behavior or whatever it is you know cheaper bathroom
2: products (laughs) not having to clean the house
0: you know whatever
1: (laughs) oh that's such a weird like monetary gender thing like i can't believe that exists
0: i think that more or less covers it so i just want to say it crystal clear basically which is if he's so progressive about a lot of these other things why is he not progressive about this. And one of the things that I would actually ask is, how progressive is he really about those other things? Is he on the front line of a Black Lives Matter march getting gas canistered and arrested? Is he actually out there lobbying against capitalism? What activism does this person do? Because let me tell you, it is a radical action to open up your relationship and let your partner be themselves and Mm -hmm. say that you'll stay with them and stand by them no matter who they decide to sleep with or how they decide to sleep with them. Yep. As I said before, Namanogi America started as a radical movement to undermine capitalism. Mm-hmm. That's how radical of an action it is. Radical leftist Marxist feminist theorists got together and said, What's the most radical thing we can do? <laughs> how can we be more radical? And they were like, Polyamory. <laughs> Let your partner be with whoever they want. <laughs> <laughs> So the thing is, the level of investment in this openness that you're talking about is so much higher than I'm willing to bet that your partner has put into something else. Now, I'm sorry if I'm wrong and they were out there doing medical duty on a like riot that they're participating in. True.
2: For the record, you sounded just as mean then as I did earlier. Did <laughs> I? No, maybe not. Now no. you weren't as accusatory. Would now
1: be an okay time to sign off?
0: Yeah, yeah, I know you gotta go. You're okay. it's like five minutes over.
1: All right, well
2: bye. All right, bye sir. Okay.
0: So <laughs> the question was is this person really that progressive. Do they participate actively, meaningfully, and daily in any of the progressive causes that they espouse? So if they espouse racial equality, do they participate in Black Lives Matter movements, right? Because this is that. They're having to have the courage of their conviction every day. Women are equal. People should be able to be with whoever they want. I'm going to be in a relationship where my partner is with whoever they want, and I am going to commit to the emotional labor on myself to work through my difficult emotions associated with that from a lifetime of cultural scripting and that's a lot more work than i'm guessing they've ever done for any of the other causes that they espouse so the other beliefs are mostly theoretical in nature like i agree with the statement that as opposed to i will actually go and attempt to live that life like that.
2: Actively. Yeah.
0: So I think that's the big difference here is that this they're actually having to to live, not just agree with. Okay. If you weren't trying to be in an open relationship and you said to someone, like, hey, I like the idea of being monogamous with just you and you like that idea with just me. So we're talking about that, as we talked before, considered or ethical monogamy. Mm-hmm. But we agree that other people should be able to be non monogamous if they want to. I bet your partner would be like, yeah, I agree 100%. And that would not be difficult for them to say. <laughs> Or do because they don't actually have to participate right. in it or live it in any way. But when you say, so I think that women and men are equal in all meaningful ways. And also non-monogamy is a good way to live in the way that we want to live. After your partner agrees to that sentence, they then have to live with that every single day. Right. So this is a lot more pressure. Which
2: may be a little more difficult for them to work through.
0: Since they actually have to do it. Right. Instead of just letting other people do it. So
2: it probably won't be immediate.
0: Yeah. But they should want to work through that because they should want to treat you like an equal in the relationship and like an equal participant in humanity. Right. And the reason that it is fundamentally unethical to not do that is because it doesn't treat you as an equal, which you are, and it doesn't treat you as equally valid as a member of humanity, which you are.
2: And is valuable.
0: So I think that answered those questions, yeah? Mm, I think so. So why is the rule ethically flawed? Doesn't treat women as equals to men. Why is it so ubiquitous? We live in a culture that doesn't treat women as equal to men. All men grow up in a culture where women are not treated as equal to men. They're used to treating women not equal to men, even if they don't understand that they're used to doing those things. And they're used to benefiting from all of the ways in which women are not equal to men. Right. And suddenly they actually have to have those ways questioned. They have to fight with them. They have to live with it on a daily basis. And they have to do the internal work to reconcile what they want to believe and the way they want to be seen as believing with the way they actually believe and the way they actually are. And that's a lot of work.
2: It is a lot of work. And we... We should absolutely appreciate the people that do that.
0: Any advice for men who cannot seem to shake feeling threatened by other men? Yeah you are going to feel threatened until you work through it. Mm -hmm. You're going to feel threatened right up until you've had a metamor that was a male-identified person for a certain period of time and had a good relationship despite that. You have to have some experience with it. And, I mean, it's probably got to be a positive experience. I, I would like to say that people can overcome the negative experiences, but from the 102 articles I've read quote why polly never works my one time trying to be polly where i realized polly could never work and i gave up forever Ugh. i'm pretty sure that most of who have a bad first experience just go back to being heteronormative cuz it's what they know it's too hard but <laughs> <laughs> but you You know, the advice is you're going to feel threatened and that's okay. Mm -hmm. You've been trained to feel threatened. What you're going to get out of this is learning not to be threatened by other men, which is a great amount of freedom for you. Yeah. You know, and the ability to have more authentic relationships, both with your partners and your potential metamors and other men in general and breaking down toxic masculinity and the way that it poisons your life. Being allowed to have emotions, for instance, that sort of fun stuff. And
2: work through your insecurities. Sure. That's one of the things that Polly has done for me Mm -hmm. crazy amount.
0: And yeah, you might realize that the person is with you because they like you. Yeah. And not because they don't have what? choices.
2: Because they want to be with me? <laughs>
0: But the the point is you can learn to not be threatened by that and that's a great thing like like that's what you're going to get out of it but you you know you you are going to be threatened until you until you're not Until I, I really think I really think you're going to be threatened until you've at least experienced your partner being with a man. Yeah.
2: And and positive experiences will absolutely help you through that. But in order to have a positive experience, you've got to have an experience. Yeah. It's like when you don't play the lottery, you're guaranteed to not
0: win. If you're a guy out there listening to this and you're going, oh my God, this is me. You should absolutely go and talk to your partner and say, hey, I realize this is me. Mm -hmm. I realize that this might be hard for me or difficult for me or a lot of work for me. But I want to do that work, one, for myself to be the kind of person that I can be proud of but two for you so that you can be treated like an actual human being to my partner right and I'm willing to do that work and I don't want you to not date someone because you're scared it will upset me by the way also don't tell them they have to go date someone so you can work through your stuff because that's using someone else as an object as well
2: or that they can go date somebody
0: yeah yeah don't say you can you can say you know you should feel like you have the right and ability to do this if you want to do this like Like, this is what you want to do, that's that's on you, not on me. But that I am willing to do that work, and that I want to do that work, and I don't want to see you controlled by my cultural scripting, my internalized mononormativity, my internalized male power thing. My internalized patriarchy shouldn't affect you. My internalization of patriarchy shouldn't keep you from living your life as a complete human being. Oh, that's great. And if you are a person in a relationship with someone who is trying to institute a one of a sexual organ policy, because obviously it's rare, does go the other direction. It does then you should tell that person that that's not fair, that that's treating you as an object and that you care about them a lot, assuming you do, and that you're willing to work through this with them, assuming that you are, and that you're happy to help them with going through this process but that you are not going to be in a relationship where they get to dictate who you can sleep with and then if it's not okay with them you should probably break up with them i know that at least once in every single show i have to say the sentence and if these things don't match you probably isn't a good match I know that nobody ever wants to hear that. Everyone always wants to hear that every relationship is salvageable. And it's not that the relationship isn't salvageable, it's that the relationship has run its course, and its course now ends with you not dating romantically anymore. A lot of relationships end, a lot of relationships last. That's not a judge on if it was a good or bad relationship. it like succeeded or ended. That's a judgment call only you can make about the quality of how it integrated into your overall life trajectory. But being in a relationship with somebody who's not willing or even interested in doing the work to treat you like a full and complete individual is not a healthy relationship to be in. So circle around a little bit to harmful behaviors <laughs> damaging behaviors from the beginning of this episode continuing to tell you what you can and cannot do are harmful yes. and damaging behaviors
2: and you know sometimes, sometimes it takes somebody saying you're incompatible or you should break up for people in a relationship to kind of look at themselves and go, oh, we really should get on the same page.
0: Yeah. A tool that we often rely on is the set a timetable. For a benchmark. Mm -hmm. This is gonna take some time. It's a lot to overcome. So it's totally fair to say, like, I'm willing to give you whatever time you want to give them, like a month to go research this, read things, think about it, get ready for that, and I'll put that time limit and say in a month we'll get together and we'll talk about this again and see where we're at. I'll either say, Okay, well now I can date whoever I want if I want, or we'll say, Okay, well, I'll give you another couple of weeks or we'll do this or that. But it should always be timed and it should always be a time level that you're not gonna lose sight of, like two to three weeks for the next time you set a time yep. it should never be like we're going to spend six months or a year or two years getting yep. there
2: and it should be a time to reassess too like we've talked about in the past not a line in the sand yeah.
0: you either accept right. it by
2: december 1st or i'm gone yeah. it's let's right. reassess this let's sit and talk about this you do this in the meantime mm-hmm. i'll do this in the meantime right.
0: and the, in the meantime should be like actionable yes. items like you're going to actually read these three books you're going to actually do this introspective exercise yep. something that that's going to move the needle. Because otherwise it's just going to be three weeks later and you have the same problems you had three weeks ago right. and you're going to set three weeks, three weeks, three weeks, And three
2: they're three just weeks. not putting forth any effort.
0: Well, and not even necessarily. Not, I mean, they might not be putting forth effort. They might be paralyzed, whatever. But so that's why having the agreed upon action items is so right. valuable that you sit down and say, like, in order to call this a deal, there have to be agreed upon actions that have to happen. And then it takes away the decision fatigue. When they think about what they have to do, they don't have to come up with it on their own. They don't have to become whatever on their own. Yeah, they go get woke. That's a really vague thing to do. Like, go be enlightened. Yeah. Become woke. Do something. Be, be more socially conscious. It's very vague. Like you need very specific. I need you to become more feminist go check for this me out. In the next week. Yeah, like hey, go to the local poly meeting and talk to a couple of men who have male metamors yep. and ask them what it's like. It'd be a great action item. Talk to people who are enjoying that lifestyle. So yeah, any other major tool toolkit stuff for that?
2: D- discuss it continue to discuss it discussing
0: it helps discussing with yourself helps like asking yourself the question what is it that makes me scared of my partner being with another guy will that make her less attractive to me no will that make her less valuable as a human being no going through the exercise of asking yourself all the questions about why this is affecting you and answering them i think does help
2: i'm jealous why go back and listen to some of our jealousy episodes a lot of it's going to fall there and a lot of it's going to fall on the patriarchy.
0: Okay, I'm really tired and I wanna be done, but there's one more thing we gotta do before we can clock this one out now. Alright. So if you are a metamore and you find out that your metamore has a one penis, one vagina policy.
2: Oh, I see what you're doing. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, I said I was gonna do yeah. it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna add that to our list of questions to ask is how you would see this as a metamore. Yeah. What does that look like from that position so first of all that is definitely a problem metamore if i am dating somebody and i find out that their metamore has set a i guess in that case it would have to be one vagina policy for them that's a huge red flag about those groups of relationships for me Mm -hmm. because it tells me that the person that i'm engaged with is willing to let someone set the rules for who they can be with which might apply to me somewhere for instance but I think this is one of those ones that falls hardcore into the dyadic V analysis system, which is, I'm not going to tell you what kind of relationship you can have with your partner. Yeah. I'm going to warn you that it looks abusive or harmful.
2: Harmful. It looks harmful. That it
0: looks like it's objectifying to you. Yeah, by the way, there's a good time to use the word harmful because you say abusive that you might be out on your face instantaneously. Yes. It looks like this is a harmful behavior. It looks like it is objectifying to you. It makes me uncomfortable and I'm worried about you because I care about you and I think you're being treated poorly by this other partner. But, as long as you don't let that other partner issue any mandates about our relationship, our relationship can continue. But that would put a huge red flag for me, and I would be watching for any signs of interference from that metamor, and if that happened, I'd be like, you gotta either fix that or I have to go. And then if it continued to happen, I would just leave, because I'm not going to be in a relationship where my relationship is dictated by a metamor. Yep. Because that should be resolved long before you ever get to the point of having an intentional metamorph relationship with that person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that that's the kind of thing that as soon as you start dating this person you're like oh that's yeah. bad that's really bad you need to fix that before i can have a coherent relationship with this person because i'm not trying to poke the beehive yeah over there so this would be the point where in most podcasts i'd add a caveat like but you get to do your relationship any way you want and that is true i will not legally force you to have any different kind of relationship you do your poly legally yeah you do you, I guess. But no. But it, it is objectifying. It is unethical. And it is treating one group or another like they don't matter. And it's some form of bigotry, misogyny, misandry, whichever it is in your group, to engage willingly in saying who your partners can sleep with based on their genitalia.
2: Period. Yeah. I mean, that's...
0: And that's a, hard, like, that's a hard hill to die on, but I'm kind of willing here.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> our podcast is all about ethics in relationships and i mean this this is as hot button of an ethical issue in relationships as it gets
0: and we talked about that like last episode we talked about where it could be consensual but not ethical here's one of those lines yeah i've seen the relationships where there's a consensual one penis policy and i wouldn't call that an ethical one penis policy
2: no what's one of those words where it does it's contradictory What do you call it? Oxymoron? Oxymoron. Ethical one penis policy. Sure. Yeah.
0: Well... I do have one. So I, this is a caveat I often use, but obviously if it's a BDSM power game where that's the game and you understand that it's a game, so you could always opt out of the game, change the game, get a new game. Sure. Yeah.
2: If it's a DS dynamic or something. Yeah. yeah but...
0: but but that has to be explicitly that, right? Like it's in the context It says this is a DS dynamic game that we enjoy playing. We understand that this is not like a yeah. intrinsic structure about human rights or male and female positions in the world, but instead simply how we choose to engage with each other for our own enjoyment. Right. That's one thing. But that's not the same as actually having a one penis policy. That's right. a game.
2: A kink is not the same as having a relationship. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, and I just always like to throw out the kink distinction because I know there might be people out there who really get off on as a kink playing into gender norms while understanding that gender norms are right. constructed and not feminist. And that in fact, they actually have those rights, which is they're in a sense exercising by having this kink game, etc. So I, I just don't want to, I never want to like that group to get villainized by me saying like, this isn't a thing that you could do normally, but you can do it like if you're seriously going it's totally okay and not something that's not problematic and how normal society functions and how everyone's supposed to function and you're using words like normal or everyone that yeah there should be one guy and as many women as they want to (laughs) be that's just gonna be unethical So yeah, a fantastic question and a difficult question and hilarious because some of these things like this one is one we probably didn't deal with because it just seems so obvious, but it actually ended up being It's been
2: a really great conversation and not one like you said that I have normally because we just assume that people get that that's not ethical. Yeah.
0: And really difficult for that reason because there's a lot of people who feel very strongly that it is ethical for one reason or another and when you say it's not, you have to literally fight them on it and so it ends up being hard because you have to buy that bullet and say this isn't fun and I don't want to have this fight but this isn't ethical which you know oddly a great metaphor for the experience that we were discussing earlier which is the same thing that you need to say to your partner which is not going to be fun for you maybe right. but i hope it will be but the bottom line is your ethical convictions if you want to be consistent with them require you to not treat me differently because i'm woman and if you do then you have to re-examine whether or not you're allowed to claim you have those ethical convictions or not because you really don't we good yeah cool (laughs) all right everybody thank you for coming thank you for for listening thank you for all the amazing comments and questions and feedback we've been getting recently we really are excited about it we really appreciate it we really think we're becoming a community and i'm super excited about that and that's
2: because of our listeners sharing and liking and following so thank you thank you thank
0: you good night bye bye